0: please take out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 46. Because of our circumstances, this isn't going to be a typical Mother's Day message that's directed primarily at mothers, though I think it does have great applicability for mothers. But I hope it's an encouragement to us all. So let's pray as we turn to God's Word. Father, we recognize that we need you to speak to us, to work to us, in in us, to encourage us, to correct us, to to open our eyes, to soften our hearts, to uh, make the truth of your word alive so that we can see Jesus and trust in him, Uh, that we can know your love and love you in return so that we can love others. We pray that as we look to your word that you would work by your spirit, that you would illuminate in our hearts, that you would help us to understand and apply to see how it connects to our lives so that we can grow in godliness and bring glory to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, can you imagine what it would be like to have your very life threatened by others, to have others who are actively planning and seeking to carry out your death? Well, almost 500 years ago, a 28-year-old young man was summoned by the Holy Roman Emperor to appear at a royal assembly in the city of Worms where he was to be confronted on dozens of errors that the Pope had found in his theological writings. He was to be given an opportunity to recant. And if he didn't, he would be branded an unrepentant heretic and condemned. His very life would be forfeit and he would be hunted for the rest of his days, which is in fact what happened. Now, you're probably aware that this man was Martin Luther. And it was at this Diet of Worms that he famously took his stand on the truth of God's word and he proclaimed, Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. This is one of those stirring and inspiring moments of church history, and I'm tempted to go into all the details. But what you may not be aware of is that it was probably a few days earlier on the road to Worms with this threat to his life hanging over his head that Luther wrote one of the best love hymns of all time, Ein Borg," or what we know in English as A Mighty Fortress. This beloved hymn is especially fitting for us to consider today for at least two reasons. First, mothers need a mighty fortress of strength if they would serve for God's glory. If you're going to be a woman who glorifies God, you must be strong in the Lord. And second, we all need a mighty God if we would navigate this world with devils filled, whether it's the travails of the coronavirus or any of a myriad of other dangers and troubles that fill our lives. But this beloved hymn did not just arrive from Luther's imagination. It's a sustained reflection on many of the themes found in the Psalms, and, and one psalm in particular, the 46th. It was Psalm 46 that inspired Luther as he prepared to face all the might of the Holy Roman Empire, of the Catholic Church, And my prayer is that this psalm will inspire us today to trust in the Lord as we fulfill his callings in our lives. So let's read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though its mountains tremble at its swelling. Behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This psalm is wonderfully comforting, even in just reading it. As these truths wash over our souls, we're reminded of who our God is and what he's like. We're reminded of how he intends for us to relate to him. You see, this psalm has a very simple message for us. Though taking that message to heart and applying it to our daily troubles is not so simple. In fact, I think it can be quite challenging because I think it's quite easy for us when troubles enter into our life to either avoid them at all costs or to attack them in our own strength oftentimes the hardest thing to do is to take our troubles to the Lord. It can be the last thing that crosses our mind. And so here is what the psalmist is calling us to today. Take refuge in God alone through every trouble, and you will stand secure. So where do we take refuge? We take refuge in God, and it's exclusive in God alone, and it's comprehensive in every trouble. And what's the result of taking refuge in God? We will stand secure in an uncertain world, rocked by troubles and trials. God intends for his people to stand secure, and that comes as we take refuge in him. So let's unpack three aspects of God's character, his care for his people, and we're going to find that God provides for his people first an unshakable stronghold. So the Psalms have comforted God's people for millennia because they cover the whole gamut of how we can relate to our gods. There are psalms of lament, which are some of the most common psalms, that give voice to our deepest sorrows and sufferings. And there's royal psalms that remind us of God's kingly reign, His rule, His sovereignty over all things. There's psalms that remind us of His mighty works of deliverance and redemption in the past. And there's psalms that, that cry out for new deliverances in our sorrows and struggles in the present. This psalm, begins in such a straightforward manner that I'm concerned that the weight of its initial declaration, which which hangs as a banner at the front, might slip right past us. So let's revisit those opening words again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's the banner of this psalm. You know, a couple years ago, Peter and I got to go to Egypt to train some Sudanese pastors, and then on the way back, Uh, It was 2017, so it was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And so we stopped in Germany. We saw our friend Christian. We went to Wittenberg, which was one of uh, the great trips I've ever had in my life. And I remember being in Wittenberg on the main thoroughfare, seeing this uh, very old city, the cobblestone streets. At one end is Luther's home. And at the other end of the street is the castle church. Uh, This is the church where Luther brought his 95 theses to nail them to the door uh, to announce that he wanted to dispute these ideas and that began a series of events that, re- that led to the Reformation. And the castle church near the rear has this, this huge tower, all, almost 300 feet high. And around the tower, it reads, Ein festeburg ist unser Gott. Uh, you got to love uh, German and it, its strength, right? A mighty fortress is our God. That is literally the banner on the tower above the church. And that's how this truth begins and presents in this psalm. God is our refuge and strength. You know, there's some statements of God's character that as we hear and understand them, we're we're instantly refreshed. So God is love. That's a refreshing truth. He's, He's faithful. He's with us. These are truths that comfort and encourage us at any time. But what about this take on God's character? God is our refuge and strength. In the abstract, that sounds nice. Maybe it's even encouraging, but we have to consider the implications underneath these words. When might we actually experience God as our refuge and strength? Well, clearly it's when we're under duress and threat and we feel weak, we feel overwhelmed, we feel at the end of the rope. It's when we receive news so grim that our knees buckle and we struggle to take it in. It's when we feel hopeless and discouraged. It's when our relationships are troubled and our our peace is shattered and our health and our wholeness seem like a distant memory. So the words of the psalmist here are deceptively simple. God is our refuge and strength. And those aren't abstract concepts. They're meant to connect to the very real present troubles of our life. He is a very present Help in trouble. I I know you have troubles in your life. We all do. That's no great guess on my part. That's just living and having eyes and ears and seeing what's going on. It's acknowledging realities. But in those troubles, where do we turn for help? Do we recognize that God is our refuge and strength? Does He actually function for us in those roles? God is your very present help in trouble. He's not a God who stays aloof. From his people, he's a God who draws near. He comes near to his children in their sorrows. And he comes near with real aid. Right? He, he's not someone who comes and you wish they would go away. He's someone who comes and he is your strength. He's your refuge. He's your help. Now we're going to talk about that aid in a moment. But, but notice where the psalmist goes next. He boldly declares an implication of this precious truth that God is our refuge and strength, our mighty fortress. And again, he's very straightforward. He writes, therefore, we will not fear. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. Fear is our response when something that we value is threatened. Fear reveals what matters to us, and it reveals what we hope to either gain or to protect Fear is a very typical human response. And we know the psalmist isn't just calling us to stoicism. He's not saying, you know, stiff upper lip and and press on. There are right and wrong kinds of fear. So a right kind would be what we feel, for example, if a bear is chasing us through the woods and, and that fear kicks in our adrenaline and we run hopefully faster than the bear. Well, right now our world is facing threats to things that pretty much everyone holds dear, that pretty much everyone values. So threats to our health and threats to our livelihoods and threats to our liberties. This is a fear-filled time. The odds are good that you're f- fearful in at least one of those categories. And, and please don't be quick to react. I'm, I'm not afraid. Uh, you very well may be afraid because fear can be manifest both in the, in the cowering hysteria that we see Right, that, that wants to eliminate all threats and be protected from all threats, especially when it comes to health. But fear can also be manifest in a kind of, of false and selfish bravado that is actually failing to show consideration for others. It's failing to deal with the reality of the situation. Both attitudes can actually be manifestations of fear, whether it's fear of physical death or the fear of losing our freedoms or, or losing our livelihoods. But though this time we're in has some unusual characteristics, it's also right in line with what we experience all the time. So consider everyday fears from a mother's perspective, as this is Mother's Day. What are some common fears for mothers? Well, first is the fear that I might not become a mother. So what if I never get married? Or what if we can't get pregnant? Or what if I miscarry? Even before a baby is born, there are many opportunities for mothers and potential mothers to fear. And then after the child is there, other fears arise. Well, what if my kids grow up to hate me? What if they're unpopular and no one likes them? What if their lives go off the rail? What if my child dies? And on and on. There are ample opportunities for fear in motherhood. And those fears are not generally ungrounded. Those things happen. They can happen. They do happen with distressing regularity. So fear is our reaction to an uncertain future. And part of what we have to be honest with is that all of our future is uncertain. Everything that God has not spoken to explicitly is uncertain. So it's our reaction to an uncertain future for something we value, something we love. It's, it's in some ways an attempt to guard against an undesirable outcome. And it is part and parcel of life in this fallen age. We cannot remove ourselves entirely from fearful situations. People who try to do do that devolve into something very, very small indeed. Their world gets very small. They get very small. Fearful things are literally all around us. And at times like the present, those things become more tangible to us than has been normal for many of us. So it's very important that we recognize fear in our lives. Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of losing your liberties? Could God still be good and with you if you lost your liberties? What about if you lost your livelihood? Are you afraid of those things? We are a fragile people. That's not a message we're generally getting from the world. You don't get it from superhero movies. You don't get it from sports with young, strong athletes. You you don't see it in celebrities. But we are a fragile people in a fallen world. We have lived with an illusion of strength and security, but it is just an illusion. The effects of the curse still touch us all every day. This world is cursed. It is under the curse of God. We suffer from the effects of that curse every day. And as Doug showed us last week, our hope cannot be in any of these things around us. We can't take Ultimate comfort or find ultimate hope in the things we can see and touch. All of those things are passing away. All of us are passing away. Short of Jesus' return, you will die. You will die. It cannot be avoided. You will live the number of days that God has ordained for you, not one more and not one less, and you will die. And one of our primary roles as pastors is to prepare you for that day, to prepare you to face God, to call you to live today in light of that day, so that when you do die and you do face God, you do so with confidence in the saving work of Jesus Christ. So what are we to do in this world with devils filled, in this world with dangers all around us, What are we to do? Where do we turn? Well, first, we have to recognize our weakness. We have to recognize our neediness. Every one of us knows sorrow and suffering. Every one of us knows need. Every one of us needs rescue. So don't deny these uncomfortable truths. Face them. Be honest. Don't try to distract yourself from them by social media or binge-watching a show or, or just generally busying yourself. Don't bury your sorrows in a bottle or or turn to substances that can take you away from your sorrows for a season. All of these things are false refuges. And all of them cannot deliver any sure and certain hope. So acknowledge, be honest about your frailty and your fears. My prayer is that we as a church, one of the effects of this time is that we would come through this with a a much greater and more accurate awareness of our fragility and need, of how threatened we are, of how threatening the world really is. And to what end? Why would we want that? Well, I think that's where we see the genius of the psalmist. So where do I turn? I turn to the very first words of this psalm. I turn to God who is our refuge and strength, who is our very present help in trouble. And therefore, because of those truths, because those truths aren't abstract and disconnected, they actually land in my life, therefore I do not fear. Our awareness of the truth of the great dangers in this life must propel us to God. A godly response to fear is grounded in seeing God for who he is and in actually taking refuge in him. There's no bare commands in the Bible. They're always linked to the reality of the gospel, of God's saving power. So we don't fear because God is our refuge and strength. And he's our refuge and strength because we have run for cover to Jesus Christ. And in him we have known forgiveness and peace and love and the gift of his righteousness. We have been, we have been united with him and we are his brothers and we have security in him. So when do these truths apply? Is it just in kind of everyday, ordinary, mundane struggles? Or is it in the big things too? Well, we'll look at this impressive list that the psalmist compiles to, to put this in context. He says, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, the earth and the mountains are two of the great symbols of strength and stability in our world. And then he continues, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So the psalmist is saying, even if your whole world is rocked, even if everything that you thought was settled comes unsettled in a moment, which is basically what we're going through, if the ground itself is crumbling beneath your feet, turn to God. He is your refuge and strength. He is your very present help. He meets you in your fearful situations. He delivers you from fear. So that's our first application. Identify your fears and take them to the Lord. Seek refuge in Him. Acknowledge that you need refuge and then go to your refuge. He will meet you. He will sustain you. He will be your mighty fortress. Don't turn to inferior sources for comfort that can provide no lasting, no strong refuge, no comfort in them. Take refuge in God alone through every trouble and you will stand secure. And that brings us to the second aspect of God's character and his care for his people, which is a reliable presence. So verse 4 brings a shift of imagery in this psalm. We read of a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And this is referring to Jerusalem and, and the sight of God's presence with his people at that time. And that means by extension that now in the New Covenant, It's referring to us, to the church. God is always with his people. And his presence turns these tumultuous waters of the first few verses into a peaceful river of provision, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And the psalmist continues his thought. He says, God is in the midst of her. God is with his people. Uh, We turn to God for refuge in our troubles because he's right there. He's with us. He's in our midst. We cannot escape his presence. He is the father who is there for his children all the time. And then he develops an implication. She shall not be moved. The result of the strong presence of God with his people is steadfastness in trials. We will not be moved. The very earth may give way. The mighty mountains may tremble. The the waters can roar and foam and we shall not be moved. There is a precious promise here for us. As we trust God in the midst of our trials, as we turn to Him for refuge, as we know His mighty presence amongst us, we will stand steadfast. We will not be moved. We are secure and serene in His love because He is a mighty fortress. He does not and cannot change. He does not and cannot change. Fail The storms of life cannot break through the protective presence of God with his people. They cannot pierce it. He is our fortress. And then we read a, a line that needs some context for us to understand it. God will help her when the morning dawns. Well, that's comforting enough, right? First thing in the morning, God is there with us. But, but it's a far better promise than that the original audience of this psalm would have recognized here an allusion to Exodus 14, verses 26 to 27. I'll read that to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. So during the Exodus, when did God defeat the Egyptians at the Red Sea? When did he crash the waters over their chariots and deliver his people? When the morning appeared. So the psalmist is referring here to the the most famous act of deliverance in Israel's history to remind them that their God is a God who saves. He's a God who saves even the most desperate of circumstances. And even more than that, as as Christians, we remember an even more momentous morning. When we celebrated, we marked just a few weeks ago when the women went to the tomb early in the morning only to discover that the body of Jesus was not there. So two of the greatest acts of redemption in history were accomplished when morning dawns. And morning is a fitting time for us to remind ourselves of God's love as well. If our troubles are overwhelming, we may not feel like getting out of bed in the morning. We may feel like we don't have the strength to face what's in front of us. And the truth is, we don't. But we do have a God who is with us, who means to be our refuge and strength, who is very present in trouble. So, so you don't just suck it up and move forward. You don't call to mind that old King, Keith Green lyric that Jesus rose from the dead and you can't even get out of bed. You remind yourself that you are a child of God. And this is the God who has acted in history to save his people, which includes you, And you cry out to Him for the grace that you need to face the troubles of the day. You you cry out to Him for the strength to get out of bed and, and to assume the responsibilities that He's called you to when you feel weak. You place your trust in Him, your hope in Him. You cry out to Him for wisdom. You turn to Him because He has proven Himself faithful, absolutely faithful, absolutely trustworthy. There is nowhere else to turn. Now, i got to tell you, as a pastor, I experience so, option, uh, so often. There, there's not many weeks that I don't receive a bit of news that is discouraging, um, whether it's a, a suffering that someone's enduring, a suffering that's been inflicted on them by the sin of another, or, or it's a sin that someone's committing in the rebellion against God and, and the destruction that that's bringing into their life and the life of those who love them. Uh, I, I'm often receiving news that uh, could overwhelm and sometimes does overwhelm. And, you, and I, I'm faced with this reality of where do I turn? Where do I go with these sorrows, with these hardships? Lord, I, what do I say here? How do I, how do I do this? How do I handle this? What, what are you calling me to do? And, and, and those are the moments where my trust is tested. Who am I looking to? Do I think I can handle this somehow in my own strength? You know, there's, there's a temptation there. There are those who go boldly through life, trusting in their own strength, uh, which does not go well, does not glorify God, and will not last. And then there are those who hide from every responsibility to try to avoid unpleasant situations which does not glorify God and does not go well and will not last. But what God calls his people to is positions of responsibility that require us to trust him, require us to grow as men and women in the fruit of the Spirit, require us to grow in loving him so that we can love others. And, and when the, the trials of those positions come upon us and we turn to him in faith, we glorify him. So where do you go? in your distress, in your trouble. Here in the psalm, the psalmist actually adds another layer of trouble to the mix. He he writes, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. So in addition to the natural disasters we saw in the first part of the psalm, now we add in the unbelieving people of the world who are in rebellion against God and they're stirred up and they're attacking his people. And, And notice how simply God deals with this threat. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Consider the power of God. When he speaks, the earth melts. He spoke the earth into existence, and now he speaks, and it melts. The the power of mankind is vanquished. The strongest threats of disaster are snuffed out. The loudest voices of hate and rebellion are silenced. He utters his voice. The earth melts. That is impressive power. Uh, We've seen that the last few months. God uttered his voice, and everything that we thought was normal is gone, changed, taken away, upturned. That is the power of God. Well, like any good song, this psalm has a refrain, and it's a memorable refrain. It's one you may actually want to commit to memory. It's here in verse 7, and then again in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What a truth to remind ourselves of. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is is our fortress. There's a contrast there It's very helpful. right? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of might and power, the Lord who rules and reigns. He's with us. The God of Jacob. The God of one particular man in one particular place in history. The God who's always faithful to His people and His promises. He's the God of comprehensive sovereignty. He's the God of incredibly intentional and personal care and love. This is the God who is with His people. So, so the psalmist is giving us specificity on the God who is our refuge and strength. He is Yahweh, and he's Yahweh of hosts. He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord who leads a mighty army. And I should just take opportunity to clarify what I think can be a confusing lyric from Luther's great hymn. We sing Lord Sabaoth, his name. And I remember as a kid thinking, that's so embarrassing. Someone doesn't know how to spell Sabbath. Sabbath. Uh, But Sabaoth is the right spelling, and it just means hosts. So he's the Lord of hosts. That's just another way of saying what this psalm is saying. And it is this Lord who is with us. He is our confidence. He is the God of Jacob, the God who's faithful to his people in all ages. He is our fortress. And this word fortress here does have a different connotation than refuge in verse 1. It's referring to an inaccessibly High place, a, a very true fortress, a true stronghold, a place far removed from the storms and tumults of life. so when we take refuge in God, we are truly and fully secure in Him. He is our fortress. now this I think could be a good time to note another application. It would be easy to read a psalm like this triumphantly with a, like a prosperity gospel mentality, so trust in God, and nothing evil will befall you but But we know that's not true, both from our own personal experience and from the broader biblical witness. And even if you just move back a few psalms to Psalm 3419, we're reminded, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now that's a promise we don't like to claim, but it's true. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the second part of that verse fills in the picture. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. So we have many afflictions in this life. Trusting in Christ rarely lessens our trouble and often and generally increases our troubles. But he will deliver us out of them all. He will be our refuge in the midst of them. He will be with us, very present, through them. And he will triumph over his enemies, over our enemies, and deliver us to his very presence where we will know full and unending joy. And that's a good note to transition to our third and final point the third aspect of God's character and care for his people, which is a certain future. So verse 8 begins with the first two of the four imperatives in the psalm. We've been reminded of the truth that God is our refuge. We've been reminded of his presence with his people to save. And now we're commanded, come, behold the works of the Lord. So come and behold are those Commands, those imperatives. And we might be thinking that we're to behold some kind of happy work, like the wonders of creation or or what he's done to save us from our sins. But the work the psalmist calls to mind here are God's judgment of his enemies. And again, he piles up some descriptions. He says, he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. These are descriptions of salvation for God's people, but they are salvation through judgment. They're salvation through the execution of final justice. Part of the truth that should inform and motivate us to take refuge in God is the certain knowledge that one day he will fully judge his enemies and bring his wrath to bear upon them for their rebellion against him and their oppression of his people. So one day Jesus will return and all Wars will cease. The mightiest means of rebellion that mankind has devised will be crushed and rendered useless before him. Evil will be exposed and punished, and in those truths we can take great comfort. All of the horrors of this age are only of this age. In the age to come, only truth and righteousness and beauty and peace and rest will be present. So that we can be in God's full presence and we can be fully happy and we can be fully at rest. Well, it's in understanding that context that we can rightly interpret the next verses. These are often beloved verses because they seem so serene and calming. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So be still and know are the third and fourth imperatives in this passage. And you may even know an old song or two that references them. But these commands are not actually directed to God's people. And we see that from the context. Be still and know that I am God is directed at the nations that rage in war. It's a strong cry. It's a, a command to those who rebel him against him. Be still. Know that I am the Lord. Right? I will be exalted in the earth. And while those words are echoing in this age, even now through this message, this is an offer, a call to faith and repentance for those who are in rebellion, who are raging against the Lord. The Lord is saying, be still, lay down the weapons of your rebellion and know that I am God. Right? Exalt me in your heart. Turn to me in, in repentance. Turn from your sins to me and know my mercy and grace and love. Because if you don't, If you don't turn in humble submission now, you will be brought to humble submission then through judgment. God will be exalted among the rebellious nations. He will be exalted over the whole earth. He will reign forever and ever. And then the refrain reminds us again, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So the psalmist builds up this terrible scene of final judgment where the Lord shouts over the creation, be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted. And then he closes with the soul-soothing truth. And I think we're meant to hold both those things together. God will judge his enemies, he will bring justice to the earth, and he is with us. He is our fortress, come what may. So let's remind ourselves of what we've seen. This is a psalm that is driving one central truth into our souls. God is our refuge and strength. He means to be your refuge and strength in every day, in every moment, in every trouble. He is a very present help in your troubles. He's our refuge and strength when the very earth seems to have given way and the chaotic waters of life are washing over us. He's our refuge and strength when the nations are raging all around us and against us. He is always, in every moment, and in all troubles, our refuge and strength. Therefore, and remember that connection, therefore, because these things are true, because we've known them to be true, because we've experienced these truths in our lives, we will not fear. We must not fear. Perhaps we could say it this way. When the troubles of our lives are fearful, take refuge. Run for cover in the Lord. Remind yourself of his great might and power. Comfort yourself with his fatherly care and presence and be encouraged by his mighty justice that will one day vanquish all evil. It seems safe to say that Christian maturity in this age primarily comes through trials. It comes through afflictions and sorrows. It comes as we've uh, stepped into responsibility and experienced the suffering that comes through it. Because in those moments... Our true trust is being revealed. Where do we turn? Whom do we trust? In what do we place our hope? I, I'm I close with a quote from Calvin, because I think he, he captures this dynamic very well, and we're going to try and post it on the screen for you. It's an easy matter to manifest the appearance of great confidence so long as we're not placed in imminent danger, but if in the midst of a general clash of the whole world, which is pretty much what we're experiencing. Our minds continue undisturbed and free of trouble. This is an evident proof that we attribute to the power of God the honor which belongs to Him. You see, when we walk through the troubles of this life with faith in God, and our minds and hearts are at peace, it must not be because we're denying reality. It's because we have attributed to the power of God The honor which belongs to Him. Your faith in the midst of trials honors God. It it magnifies Him. It it demonstrates to the watching world what the true source of your strength and hope are. It, It demonstrates the security of your mighty fortress. Whether your fears and troubles revolve around sickness or motherhood or finances or freedoms or broken relationships or any of a host of other troubles, God is your refuge and strength. He is your very present help in trouble. So take refuge in God alone through every trouble and you will stand secure.